Take your seats. Kids, it's time for children's worship. See Miss Gage over there ready to take you out. You can head out. Anybody else? Any more? Uh, so we're looking, as Kevin mentioned, at the parables of Jesus. We're up to Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 through 35. That text uh, is in the bulletin and uh, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay. Now, let me be clear about that. So... 10,000 talents, you may be thinking, well, how much is that? It's like the national debt. Okay? Like, he's never going to pay this back. His children are never going to pay it back. His grandchildren are never going to pay it back. Okay? <laughs> so, let's, and that's why he says, since he could not pay, Jesus isn't making a statement about his bank account. He's making a statement about the size of the debt. And everybody that hears this knows 10,000 talents, forget it, you know. And, you know, we sh should have sent him to Financial Peace University or something like that, I guess, so that he would have whatever Christians do about that, uh, so that uh, he wouldn't have gotten in so much debt in the first place. But anyway, just so you know, impossible debt, impossible, right? Ridiculous, trillion, gazillion, babillion, whatever. So, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now that's, that's like saying, you know, uh, anyway, that's impossible, right? It's like me saying, I'm going to play for the Boston Celtics this year. Right? <laughs> and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not very much. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Um, that's the one part of this parable that's always troubled me, because 
I'm, I'm not a big, uh, not real high on tattletales. Um, but I guess this worked out since, you know, here we are reading it in church. So, then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So uh, this is such a great text and, and so great in, in many ways. Uh, I'm sure that Peter wished by the end of this parable, he'd never asked the question, right? Because what starts out with, you know, uh, so my, I, let me show you how righteous I am. I'm willing to forgive my brother seven times. And Jesus ends the parable by saying, you know, if you don't get better at this forgiveness thing, you might go to hell. Whoops. <laughs> how did we get here? Right? So, um, yeah, yikes, this is pretty incredible. So the, so the thing that I know after uh, preaching on forgiveness uh, for 31 years, uh, whenever we come to it, um, everybody turns into Peter. And what I mean by that is they come and say to me, well, I know forgiveness is good and all, but given my situation, how much should we limit it? Or I'm willing to forgive this, but not this. So let's, you know, tell me how I can manage this, how I can put this in a neat little box and so that it'll all work out together. And I can feel really good about myself that I forgave somebody, you know, a uh, hundred denarii debt or attempted to do it or whatever. And then we run into the question of, you know, that's not not in this uh, story, but, you know, what do we do for the person uh, who comes to us the 10th or the 15th or the 20th or the 10,000th time and said, I sinned against you, will you forgive me? When for their own good, would we not? <laughs> right? Isn't that what we think? I'm going to help you now by not forgiving you for your sin to help you come to grips with how terrible it is. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning, before we get too far into this, that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, right? Those, those things are different. And, and forgiveness is going to look different uh, in, in many different cases. But the fact is, what Jesus gets at here is, the, the reality of our hearts is that we will seek any number of ways to limit his call to us to be quick and willing to forgive from the heart any brother or sister who asks for it, period. Okay? So as we, as we look at this today, we're going to have to, we're going to have to spend some time un unpacking this and getting in the context because the context is going to help us understand it. But here's the thing that I know about this. And this is, this is what makes forgiveness so challenging is, you know, forgiveness doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in a mess. Forgiveness happens in a situation where we are, we need forgiveness from God for a 10 gazillion dollar debt. And we are constantly sinning against and being sinned against a hundred denarii debts by people all the time. All the time. There will never be a time in your life while you are breathing air. Let me say this again. There will never be a time while you and I are breathing air that we will not need forgiveness and we will not need to forgive somebody. If you're a human being 
and you live in this world, that's the nature of life. That's where we live. And it is messy and hard and uh, uh, challenging, right? Uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, my, I was with uh, my dad and uh, uh, my, his last remaining sibling, out of 11 of them, <laughs> his last re- remaining sibling died, my Aunt Pearl, and we went to her funeral, right? And so uh, this was a really, it was a really poignant time for my brother and I to spend this time with our dad and with our extended family. And, um, uh, you know, I think dad knew he was dying. I think he knew that he didn't have a lot of time left, which he didn't. And so we were, you know, kind of going around and seeing things and, and doing things. And so when we got to where the uh, funeral, uh, the, the little area where the funeral was going to be, we stopped by my aunt's house just to see who was there. Now, which is always funny to me because in our family, you know, when somebody dies, you go to their house. You, you know, we, we tend to think, well, we're not going to do that. Well, that's where everybody gathered. All my family was there at, at her house. Um, and in the room there, uh, when we got there, was my cousin, one of my cousins, uh, Dolly June. Now, Dolly June uh, is a little bit older than me, uh, a great woman. Uh, in 1970, uh, her dad who was married to my mom's youngest sister, murdered uh, uh, his wife and two of his children and severely wounded her. She's a survivor. She still has the scars. You can see them when she wears a, 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 sh- a short sleeve shirt of where she put her arms up to stop the bullets from hitting her. Terrible. So for years, one of the things that was a big a part of our life as a family was the struggle that we had to forgive my uncle for doing that. And ultimately, uh, my dad and some of his brothers went to a parole hearing for my uncle and uh, saw what a shriveled up little man he had become. And this was somebody that they'd known their whole lives. They went to school together. They knew him their whole life. Um, that enabled them to come to grips with some way to be able to forgive him. Uh, we're sitting there in the room. We've greeted everyone, and, you know, we're, we're, we're there, and, you know, I'm like, you know, we made it. We got him in here. And, and then I look at my dad, and he gets the look on his face that I recognize as, uh-oh, strap yourself in, because he is about to launch into something here, and... God only knows literally where we're going to end up with what he's about to say. So he looks at my cousin, Dolly June, and he says, you know, I really need you to forgive me. And I'm like, okay, where where are we going with this? And he says, you know, uh, about six or seven years before your mom died, she came to me to ask my advice about whether she should leave your dad or not. And I said, well, yeah, I think you should. And then she told me that she had just found out she was pregnant. And I backed off telling her that because she was pregnant, because I didn't know how she would make it with you kids if she was divorced from your dad. I should have never told her that. So uh, my Cousin Dolly June, very sweet, gracious woman, and said, you know, Uncle Milton, you don't have to worry about that. I, you know, I forgive you, and I love you, and 
you know, we went, we went from there. At that point, I looked at my brother and I said, well, I need some lunch. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just 1030, but, uh, <laughs> I think, I think we'd probably do us some good to get dad out of here and go get something to eat. Don't you think that would be a good idea? So, um, you know, and what that told me was, is, you know, how sin just reverberates and requires forgiveness in so many different ways. And so it's just such a mess and it's unmanageable. And, and outside of Jesus Christ entering into our mess and bearing our 10 gazillion dollar debt, we have no hope of what to do and how uh, to do it with the mess uh, that our world is. So, uh, Becky, go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So the context of this parable is so important, right? So in, in verses 1 through 6, before we even get to the parable, uh, Jesus is asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples are like, you know, we, th- we feel pretty good about ourselves. You know, things are going pretty well. And so who's greatest? Which one of us, you know, is going to be secretary of state in the kingdom? Which one of us is going to be uh, a secretary of the treasury? Which which one of us, you know, that that's what they're 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 like carving up the pie of what's c- coming their way of what they think is coming their way. And so that which one of us is going to be the greatest? So Jesus says, oh, I'll show you who's going to be the greatest. And there's a crowd around there. And so he takes a child and he brings a little child. I imagine a first grader, you know, missing a few teeth, uh, you know, squirmy right there. And he says, well, unless you become like one of these, you're, you're, you're hopeless. Wow. Okay. That's alarming. And then in verses seven to nine, he says, you know, uh, don't, uh, cause one of these little ones to sin. And if you feel like the temptation to sin, you need to take drastic measures to keep from sinning. And then in verses 10 through 14, he tells that that great story about the shepherd who has the hundred sheep. One gets lost. He leaves the 99 to go get the one that's lost and he brings him back. And then in verses 15 through 20, he tells how to retrieve the wandering brother or sister. If your brother sins against you uh, and uh, you go to him and tell him his fault and he uh, acknowledges his fault, you tell no one else and you forgive him. If he won't acknowledge his fault, you take a witness and you confront him. And if he agrees, the matter ends there. And if he won't do that, then then you take it to the church. Now, isn't it ironic that he talks about these kind of church discipline and ways to deal with conflict verses right after he talks about retrieving the sheep that's lost? And then in verse 21, Peter hears this, right? And he he's thinking about, Wait, you mean to tell me that when my brother comes to me and admits his fault, he sinned against me and, and, or when I go to my brother and I say, you sinned against me and he says, you're right, please forgive me. I have to forgive him seven times, right? That's the context of this. The context and, and think about that. And, and in fact, you know, you, you hear that and, and it, my initial reaction to that was, well, of course, anybody who asks you for forgiveness, you have to forgive them. 
But the truth of the matter is those are the kind of people that we have the hardest time forgiving, right? Because because those are the kind of people that we have to live with and that we have to eat with and, and that we have to work with. And we have to do this over and over and over and over and over again. And so it's a it's a pretty hard and profound thing, right? That that that's what that's what Jesus is is getting at, right? He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's it, right? How crazy this is, because Jesus, <laughs> I I, it, um, I don't want to get too far into this, but isn't it funny that what Jesus assumes you're your goal is in going to your brother is to win him. You've won your brother. Now, I confront people with sin often. And sometimes I think, you know, as a secondary blessing of this, winning my brother might be a good thing. But really, really, I want to let them know they sinned against me. And really, really, what I want is, well just to make them uncomfortable, right? So as we, as we look at this, that's the thing that we have to get at. Now, let me just say right, out, right off the bat here that this is, this is difficult and it's hard and it's messy and it's challenging. And I know right now many of you are carrying around in your minds the thought of, you know, there's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and maybe I have a grudge against them. Maybe, maybe I need to forgive them. And you're thinking of all the caveats to keep you from having to do that, right? Um, I, I, I know, I know that's how that works. And there's a there's a few of you or who are here this morning who are thinking, I sinned against this person. I need to go talk to them. Okay. And then there are some of us here today who are thinking, I I can't believe uh, that my own sin. My gazillion dollar sin is forgiven, right? Well, all three of those, uh, to one degree or another, are addressed in this parable. So the first thing to note about this parable is this, that there's a settling of accounts. You know, uh, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, but in the context of talking about forgiveness, he comes at this in a setting of judgment, right? A king uh, is settling accounts with all the people who owe him things. And it is amazing, you know, for all of our thought about Jesus being so super tolerant of everyone, he talks about judgment an awful lot, right? He talks about uh, the settling of an account uh, an awful lot. So he says the king is calling for accounts and he gathers everybody together and he looks at his ledger and he sees this this servant who's got this god-awful huge debt that is going to be impossible for anyone, anytime, ever. It's like the national debt to ever be able to pay it off, right? And so he looks at that and he's like, well, what, what is going to, what, what, what am I going to do here? And so he says, this guy's never going to be able to pay this debt off. I need to get what I can get from him. So sell him and his family and everything he has, throw him in jail, and, you know, we'll just call it a, a, a day. Well, the guy says, look, you know, please for, you know, don't, don't do that to me. He doesn't ask him to forgive the debt, but he says something that is really crazy, and that is, you know what, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. My kids, when I would uh, have to confront them with discipline, would say, I'll never do that again. 
as a bargaining chip. <laughs> I'll never do that again. And I would say, you're lying. Stop your lying because you're going to tempt me to punish you even more because you're lying and you're not taking this seriously. Right? Because I don't forgive them on the basis of them telling me that they'll never do it again. I forgive them on the basis of my own forgiveness, right? So the king just simply has pity on this man. Next slide. So the the, uh, the guy goes out and he comes, comes across someone who owes him a comparably small debt. He chokes him. He chokes him. And uh, then says he's going to throw him and his family in prison until... They can pay for it. Word gets back to the king, and the king gives us this severe, severe uh, warning, right? So um, what, a pretty, what, a, what a profound picture uh, of the way uh, human life and human relationships work. So the, the fact of the matter is the context of all of our relationships exists in this, in this place where we must forgive one another and we, uh, we, we must be willing to forgive one another and we must be in a situation where we can receive the forgiveness that God has for us, right? So this is the context of all of our relationships. This is the way we work. And so how do we get at this? How, how can I begin to be a person that has some sense of forgiveness in my own life. Well, the first place you have to start is your own self-view. You see, the, what Jesus is saying here to, to us and to Peter and to those of us who think, you know, I'm pretty good at this forgiveness thing, but I'm going to put some limits around it. One of the things that he is saying to us that we have to come to grips with is this, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is before God, who is an infinite person, you have a debt you can never repay. You have a debt you could never come close to repaying. And in fact, your belief that you might possibly be able to pay some of it back or any of it back is offensive. Because it is so ludicrous to think that the debt of my sin, that's ongoing, by the way, that I owe to my creator, that I owe to the God who I belong to is so great. If, if, if my account had to be settled by me paying it back, it would be absolutely impossible. And so for, I have to carry around with my thought and my understanding every day that the debt is canceled. But what you have to see about this is, unlike what's in the parable, the debt's not canceled. It's not just that the king wipes the debt away. The king pays the debt. He pays the debt for you. And the debt that is paid is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's not just that the debt's canceled. Yes, it's canceled. It doesn't count against you, but it's not just because the king says, you know what, I'm going to wipe that off. That's, that's, that's a debt and I'll, I'll, I'll do away with it. The king says, no, this debt has to be paid and I'll pay it. That's where we have to begin with this. So, so the reality of, of our situation, the way I have to view myself is, not only has my debt been paid, but my debt has been paid by the one to whom it was owed. But not only that, not only that, and that's what makes this so crazy is that you and I spend so much of our time and energy thinking that our debt is tiny, it's small, that we really, you know, we're really not that bad. 
And that, that really we have this debt, and yes, we know it's a big debt, but you know what? We, we, we can work our way out of this. And what Jesus says is your only hope, my and your only hope today is to come to grips with the fact that we have a gazillion dollar debt that Jesus pays at the cost of his own life. And that is the only way and means I can be forgiven. And that's, that's where we begin. We begin by seeing ourselves that way so that my orientation towards all of you when you sin against me is from the perspective of I see and understand the, the ginormous nature of my debt, my sin. Secondly, I think one of the things that we have to see about this is, is that our understanding of this issue of forgiveness uh, has uh, implications for how we bear witness, Right? Bear with me with this for a second. And this is something that I think is really important. One of the reasons why people don't believe what we say is because we don't forgive. You and I say, we say it regularly in the, uh, um, in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. It is a matter of faith. It is a cornerstone of what we believe. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. When we do not forgive, we give the lie to that. When we don't receive the forgiveness that is offered to us, that is ours in Jesus Christ, and we, we try to work our, our way out of our guilt, we don't see the, atoning, the, the nature of his atoning work on our behalf, then what's true of us, what, what becomes true of us then is no one should believe what we say because we say we believe in forgiveness and yet we carry around grudges and when uh when when someone confesses their sin to us we uh we're unwilling to forgive now as a side note on this is just just to be clear about this is the king wipes the debt away in the parable but there's no record of him ever loaning any more money to the servant Okay, so I'll leave you to think about that uh, on your own. Uh, uh, but the fact is, that's what—that's really ultimately not our problem. Our problem is the fact that we don't see ourselves as needing the sacrifice of Christ, and therefore it makes us unwilling to forgive those who sin against us. Um. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, what about, what about forgiving yourself? And, you know, uh, there's not a lot in the Bible about forgiving yourself. Uh, in fact, I, I, as far as I can tell, there's nothing in the Bible about forgiving yourself. Tim knows the Bible better than I do, and he's nodding his head. So if you know of a place in the Bible where it says, thou shalt forgive yourself, take it up with him. But... um I do, I know what, well, if you're unwilling to forgive yourself based on what Jesus Christ has done, then your problem is you don't believe in the forgiveness of sins. You don't believe what Jesus says and what he gives you that when he tells you that you're forgiven. So you have, your problem is not, you know, you're un, you're, sense of, uh, you know, that you can't believe you're forgiven. Your problem is you're self-righteous and you want to earn somehow or other, feel, do something so that you can be sure 
that you've been forgiven. Um, pretty, pretty ugly mess we have, isn't it? Right? Marilyn Robinson says this to us. I've always liked the phrase, nursing a grudge, because many people are tender of their resentments as of the things nearest their hearts. Uh, some of you are carrying grudges against people in this room right now. And, and you would have to, right? I mean, you, you live with these people. You, you've been in church. You know, some of us have been in church together 25 years or more. We've had ample opportunity to sin against one another, right? And so, so there's, 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 there's plenty of that. And then some of, some of you, I'm, I'm always amazed at this, at the, the newlyweds that come to me. And as you unpack what's going on in their lives, you find out that they will spend, you know, sometimes two, three, four, five days at a time and not talk to each other. Because <laughs> they can't figure out how to forgive each other. That's my fave. I really like that one. Uh, so, um, next slide. Um, there's a saying, this is to us from Marilyn Robinson, uh, to, that to understand is to forgive, but that is an error, so Papa used to say. You must forgive in order to understand. Until you forgive, you defend yourself against the possibility of understanding. If you forgive, he would say, you may indeed still not understand but you will be ready to understand, and that is the posture of grace. And that's what I want to leave you with uh, this morning is, do you have a posture of grace towards the person who sins against you and confesses their sin? Can you do that? Can, can you look at them and see them as the hundred denarii sinner and yourself as the gazillion dollar sinner, and that as a result of this, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you're willing to extend to them this, well, not the same grace that's been extended to you because you couldn't do that, but to pass on to them the fact that I forgive you because I've been forgiven. The disciples prepared the Passover and when it was evening, Jesus came with the 12 and they were reclining at the table as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this prayer of confession uh, to confess our sins this morning. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses.
believer, hear these words of encouragement. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it uh, to his disciples. In Matthew's gospel, he says to us that Jesus held up the cup and said, this is my cup of the covenant of my my covenant um, and it is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. You know, when Jesus is telling this parable and the disciples are gathered around, remember he began this parable by having a child stand there in the midst. And I believe as he tells this parable about the king forgiving the debt, the child is still there. Why is that? Unless you become like a little child. Well, over the, the last 18 years, I've watched a, um, a um, laboratory in human forgiveness worked out in my wife's first grade class. And so some kid will hit some kid in the head with a ball. And then we're off to the races. And so she has to sit, get down with both of them on eye level and say, are you angry at so-and-so because they hit you in the head with the ball? Right. She looks at the other person and says, why did you hit them in the ball? Well, I hit them with the ball because they wouldn't play what I wanted to play. Now, you may hear that and you may think, so childish. The book of James says, why are there fights and quarrels among you? It's because you have desires and you don't get what you want. That's why I hit you in the head with the ball. I'm hitting people in the head with the ball all the time because I get what I want about 6% of the time, right? That's how we view it, right? And then she has to say, will you forgive? And then she has to say, do you ask for forgiveness? Yes. And they do it. And we look at them and we think, oh, Big deal. That's kids. They don't mean it. But you know what happens? They go back out in that playground and they play with each other. Perhaps when Jesus stood that little child there in the midst of them and he said, unless you become like this child, that's part of what he was getting at. Right? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe in the forgiveness of your sins? Jesus gives you this bread and this cup to give you tangible evidence that your sin is forgiven. And he enables you and encourages you and energizes you now as a result of that to extend that forgiveness to your brothers and sisters. Do you want to look like God? Do you want to look like him? 
Do you want to be like him? What do we say and what do we know about the nature of Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, that by virtue of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins? He forgives us. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life that you have no other hope for the forgiveness of your sins except the finished work of Jesus Christ for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, then he says to you again today, his blood of the covenant has been poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As the uh, elders and deacons uh, come down uh, front to assist me, Uh, today. Let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice. All the bread is bread that is gluten-free.